I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. Here to inspire you to discover and love the arts with weekly episodes of archive finds and themed series. Scottish dancer and choreographer Michael Clarke has maintained a compelling and radical presence on the British cultural scene since his meteoric rise as a young dancer in the 80s. From his early training in Scottish traditional dance, through a classical education at the Royal Ballet, his immersion in club culture and his collaborations across genres, Michael's work is at once funny, provocative, rigorous and singular. Here he is, describing his work to Muriel Gray. See, what I'd like to do in my, my work is not say, this is how I feel, this is my solution or whatever. It's rather to sort of raise the whole thing and stir it up a bit. You see, there's no such thing as a misinterpretation. The thing with movement is um, it's, it's got so many different meanings for different people. I mean, it's such a hard question because you're not dealing with specific things like you are with words. That's what, why it appeals to me so much. Because it's got all those different levels of meaning. Michael Clark, Cosmic Dancer, is the first major exhibition to explore his work and collaborations, and it's on at the Barbican now before travelling to the VA Dundee in October 2021. I'm producer Freya Hellier, and I've been talking to some of the key figures in Michael Clark's creative world. In this episode, I met a fellow choreographer who worked with the 17-year-old Michael right at the start of his career. I'm Richard Austin, and I'm a choreographer who's been doing it for a long time. I became resident choreographer with what in those days was called Ballet Rombe. It's now just called Rombe. And that's where Michael came to dance, so that's how I first worked with Michael Clark. But I really knew him best when he was young and just starting out. Still in his early teens, Michael left the family farm in Aberdeen to study at the Royal Ballet School in London in 1975. And I initially thought I'd stay there a year to improve my posture for my Scottish dancing, which for me then was the most important thing. But within a couple of months, I was you know, hooked and wanted to be, you know, a star of the Royal Ballet Company. <laughs> the first two years I spent there, I worked very hard, and I think I probably learned a great deal. Um, but I began to feel I was I was ready to, to do something else. After four years, I was definitely ready to do some work. 
he had trouble at the Royal Ballet School. He mentions that in one of the videos in the exhibition. Uh, he was a bad boy and he enjoyed being a bad boy. He didn't actually leave then because Richard Glaston, who was a very influential teacher on, on Michael, Richard taught at uh, White Lodge, which was the lower Royal Ballet School, and he took Michael under his wing. I think what's important is that he told the Royal Ballet School, look, we can't lose such an exceptionally good dancer. He may be not as well behaved as you would like. He used to escape off in, you know, out at night and so on, because it's a boarding school, the, the, the White Lodge. So he, he uh, undertook to take care of Michael and keep him in the school. But Michael was restless. And Michael went one summer to do um, a summer course led by a contemporary choreographer. And there was also John Chesworth, who at that time was the director of the Ballet Rambert. And I think almost anyone who saw Michael dance said, oh, do you want to come and work with us? And that's what John did. And Michael decided that's what he would do. He wouldn't finish his training at the Royal Ballet School. He was impatient to get started and be on stage. Michael was keen to push himself and boundaries, but his rebellious streak sat on top of a very secure technical foundation. He had all sorts of natural gifts. He had wonderful line through the body. It didn't make it showy. He just, I can remember, you know, he would take what's called a point tendu at the back. He'd stretch his leg to the back and there'd be this amazing line through his, let's face it, very attractive body. He was a very nice looking young man and he danced superbly. He had all the fast footwork that you get from Scottish dancing because that's what he did when he was a child. And in fact, the very first time I saw Michael dance, it was at the Albert Hall in a huge great jamboree of folk dancers from all over the British Isles. Lots of very, very burly Scottish men in kilts, but very light of foot. Out came this tall, long-necked, long-legged creature in a kilt with two swords, put them down on the floor in the middle of the Albert Hall, and you could feel the whole hall watching him. He was amazing. But the next time that I saw him was when I went to Rombert and they told me that he'd been to this summer course and that John Chesworth had asked if he would join the company. And what I remember is that the uh, administrator, my boss, said to me, well, we're not, you know, we can't suddenly take an extra dancer, so we're not going to hire this young boy until Christmas. And I said, well, I'm making my new piece in November. I'd been invited to make a new piece for the first time there. I was still an outsider. And I said, I really know I want to work with this boy. She said, oh, well, then we'll have to fix something. And when I went into the studio to start rehearsals, on my way up the stairs, she put her head out of the office and she said, I hope at least you're going to make a solo on him or something because we have booked him and it costs us money, you know. And I remember that to this day because I went into the studio thinking, well, basically I thought, oh, shit. <laughs> because I, I knew, I could see how remarkable Michael was, but I had no idea about him as a person or whether he'd be quick or whatever. And that day, in the very first rehearsal of making my first piece for Brombert, I made a large group piece and then I sent everyone away and I started making a solo for Michael. And Michael has spoken about that since and confessed how terrified he was. 
initially, when I first worked with Richard, I, I didn't understand what he was talking about because he spoke about movement much more internally than, than the teachers at the Royal Ballet School who talk from, you know, from the outside. You look in the mirror and see the shape that you're making. Whereas Richard talked more about, about the, what the body was actually doing within the movement. One of the things about Michael that's extraordinary is that he can do things that all sorts of dancers would find exhausting, and he looks very cool and very calm at all times. Uh, you can see that in all the wonderful films in the exhibition. Um, he'll give you a broad grin, he'll wink, but he never looks exhausted and never looks fraught. And uh, I always found that fascinating, and I think I pushed him as a choreographer. I tried to give him steps to do later on that would be hard for him to do. And frankly, it was impossible. He just did everything. This was a piece called Bell High, and I made this so it was the opening of the piece. The curtain went up, and there was this young man, and he started this slow, beautiful, slow, elongated solo. And so everyone noticed him. And I remember a critic who I happened to know was sitting next door to someone who actually was not only a critic, but the director of the Royal Banner School. And after the piece, he turned to him, my friend, and said, you must be very proud to see this boy doing so well. And the, uh, this is years and years ago now, a very different school from what it is now. The director said, oh, well, he took the easy option, you know. And um, I remember being very shocked when I, when I heard that. Well, I think at that sort of difficult age of 15, 16, I began to question where I was going and what I was going to end up doing and looking around me and seeing dancers in the Royal Ballet and um, sort of trying to figure out the kind of um, life I would lead if I did join the Royal Ballet and it didn't appeal to me. Life is very, very different now. Uh, um, all the students in all the training schools and the Royal Ballet included, they have to be prepared to do all sorts of work because they have to go where the jobs are. Uh, in those days, in 1979, you were supposed to dream of only one thing, and that was to join the Royal Ballet. So that's what he meant by taking the easy option. He didn't do the extra work to become a prince or whatever they um, would have hoped he would become at the Royal Ballet. He never joined the Royal Ballet. But Michael was restless. I would love to have worked with him longer. I worked with him for two seasons, and after he'd gone, I did so late when he was in the company, and then afterwards, when he'd gone, I did Dutiful Ducks, which was another solo I made for him. Dutiful, the Drano ducks collide, and mercy, gather collide like fancy tension. I'd always wanted to make this piece called Dutiful Ducks. It's very short, it's only three minutes. And so when there was some kind of gala for Dance Umbrella, the Dance Umbrella Festival, I thought this would be a great opportunity to make this, this piece. And I know exactly the person who I'd love to do it. And Michael was free, and we worked together on it. And it's very, very fast. It's very, very challenging. When you look at the film of him, it looks like he just throws it off. But actually, it was very, very tough. And other dancers who've done it since have to work very, very hard to do the steps. They're very particular and they're very speedy and they ride, if you like, on the energy of the voice.
hay in May says, dutiful, dutiful ducks, dutiful, dutiful, dutiful ducks, dutiful. It was, it was as I say, I, I thought of it as my leaving present. I was always saying, on you go, good luck, do well. And um, so I've always had a fondness for that piece, both for the music, which I loved, the text sound, and also for the fact that I made it on Michael, and I really enjoyed that. And then he began to do his own work and began to work with Ellen, Ellen von Schallenburg, who you see a lot in the exhibition. You can see how wonderfully they work together. She was a real inspiration to Michael. And uh, I think that's one of the marvelous things about the exhibition. You can see how he formed his company and what a bond they had between them and how hard they worked. He became associated with a really amazing place called the Riverside Studios. And they could see what a remarkable dancer he was. And when he decided he'd had enough of working, because the reason I think he moved on was because Rombe was a repertory company. And so not all the work was what Michael wanted to do. Uh, um, and I understood that and I respected that at the time. I had no uh, bad feeling about him going. I was disappointed, but, uh, but selfishly for myself. And he went to Riverside, and Riverside uh, supported him. It was a marvellous place down there in Hammersmith. And that's where Michael began to make work. And then the exciting thing for me was that, really, to my astonishment, I suddenly ended up being director of Brombe in 1986. It happened all rather suddenly. Uh, there was a crisis, and I was asked if I would help deal with the crisis. And I knew the dancers lo needed looking after, so I agreed. I agreed to do it temporarily, and it turned out to last for six years. And early on, I think in my first season, I asked Michael if he would make something. And I actually asked him if he would make something along the lines of a piece that I'd seen called Do You Me I Did. And that's what he did, and it became a piece called Swamp. And. I have to say, I remember at the time being really, really pleased that he made a very steady and very well-made piece of dance, beautiful movement, quite slow, and, and um, he separated it, if you like, from, from, from the dildos and the bare bums and the things which he was putting into his own company's work. And, and the result was he got very good reviews and uh, I guess I, I was very excited by that, not because I think reviews are important, but I knew that Michael was a really good dancer and I wanted him to be taken serious. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, Michael is fascinating because his dancing embodied things that were indeed very classical. And uh, Richard Glaston, who I mentioned, was a Cicchetti teacher, and Michael loved the language that Richard taught. And there's a very strong influence of Cicchetti on Michael's movement and on the way he dances. And Cicchetti was an Italian teacher who made classical dance very three-dimensional, it had a flow to it. He used the back wonderfully. Uh, it was something you could see very much in the work of Sir Frederick Ashton, who was also hugely influenced by Cicchetti. So you see that in Michael's work, definitely. You see it in the way Michael dances. So there was all this extraordinary formal skill, and then there was this sense of adventure. I think because she came to London and, and performed at Riverside, he met Carol Armitage, and Carol danced for Merce Cunningham and was a really, really strong dancer for Merce. Very, but she'd come from a ballet background, more of a Balanchine, American choreographer, Balanchine. She'd danced for, for a company in Switzerland where they'd done a lot of Balanchine's work. But she had then embraced uh, heavy rock music with a lot of sound, and she made very wild dance which was, I suppose, you would put it into the label punk. And Michael danced for her. And that's when I think his own style really suddenly broke out. Because you can see her influence. He makes it his own, because, of course, Carol had all sorts of wonderful gifts, but she couldn't do Scottish dancing, and she wouldn't necessarily have done Cicchetti. And you see all of that in Michael's language. So Michael's language was a whole mixture of the things that had influenced him and then he made them uh, in his own voice. And that voice has matured. Well, I think my attitude's changed over the years. Um, at one time, I really did think the only way I could make work was by ridiculing what had been done before, because I really felt that any way of trying to communicate something emotional or maybe spiritual or something um, ended up looking cliched. So I've been trying to find a way of my own um, and a way that, that is pure but at the same time still hits home. And I found um, by work, I've had a couple of people in the company recently who aren't trained dancers and just the kind of feedback I get from them has really made me realise that dance can put something across without being specifically related to real life. And the other thing which I think was always important was that as a dancer, 
he was very, very knowledgeable about dance. As a young man, he was much more interested in real life, and he was much more interested in some of the pretty wild people he would meet at the clubs that he would go to very often. And uh, so he always wanted his dance to reach his friends in the clubs, if you, that's putting it too, too uh, generally, but still. And that's why the music was always uh, very full on music that Michael loved. And the musicians connected with Michael too. Here's Mark E. Smith of The Fall, interviewed in 1988 while they rehearsed their joint performance, I Am Curious Orange. <laughs> the thing about Michael, I think people forget, I mean, I'm no uh, ballet ex expert, but uh, one thing about him is uh, he is actually very tight and he, he, he is very entertaining to somebody who knows, you know, now about uh, ballet, like myself, or, or anybody else. And since I've known Mike, if you watch ballet, you see how far behind, if you watch Swan Lake, for instance, you see how slow they are and, and sort of almost turgid compared to him. Like he gets like a hundred steps in like a fifth of the time, you know. <laughs> There's, there's a short clip in one of the videos, one of the films that Charlie Atlas, who was a wonderful filmmaker, who became devoted to Michael's work, and he made wonderful films of Michael. And in one scene, uh, Michael is in, in, interviewed by someone called Dick Witts. But what's the best music for dancing? That's not the point. Oh. I dance to what I like, you dance to what you like. And, and that was very telling, I think, because he didn't, he didn't use music to have an effect. He used it because he loved it. And, uh, you know, I was a much older man and I didn't pretend to love it. It was something from much younger people, but that was okay. That was all right. And I think it was the part of Michael's work. And I think it was part of the young dancers he worked with. And uh, you get a very clear sense of that in the really fascinating range of videos that there are in, this, in, the, in the spaces of the gallery. I think Michael was adventurous. I think Michael was adventurous, which is a very healthy thing in a young person. Some of his adventures had a very bad effect on him, and he's, uh, he's openly talked about that. You know, he's had quite heavy problems with addictions of one kind and another. But Michael has always gone for it, and what I find so really thrilling and exciting about this exhibition is to be reminded very, very clearly of what an extraordinary dancer he was and how fast he moved and how these steps and changes of direction were extraordinary. And it's all there. It's all there on these screens, multiple screens, so you can see it again and again as you walk through the exhibition. So I was on a high when I went to see the exhibition. It was just thrilling for me to see Michael dance like that uh, and to remember to remember how he was when we first worked together. He was a, he was a, you know, it's a cliche to say, but it's absolutely true. He was a real inspiration to me. Uh, not for long, but I really treasured the two years that I worked with him, and I've never forgotten what it was like to work together. Thanks to Richard Alston, to the BBC for the archive footage, and to you for listening to this episode of Nothing Concrete. Next time, we're talking to gallerist Sadie Coles. 
To plan your visit to Michael Clark, Cosmic Dancer, go to barbican.org.uk. And from October 2021, it'll be at the V&A Dundee. Subscribe to Nothing Concrete on Acast, Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you'd like to hear more of the music connected to these episodes, listen to the Barbican's Michael Clark Cosmic Dancer playlist on Spotify. Nothing Concrete is produced by me, Freya Hellier, for Loftus Media. The production coordinator is Cherie Houston. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.